us today through the shadows that we live in into the light that you give. Would you make sure that what happens in this room is the same thing that's happening in the throne room? And Father, I pray today for miraculous release from pain and sorrow and sadness. I pray today for the courage to no longer fear our pain, but for the courage to know that Jesus is planted and waiting in the midst of it and that we can meet him there and he can make what is painful sweet. Jesus, you are awesome. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, good morning. You awake? Got to know over here somewhere. So, anyway, all right. You're not awake? All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, I really, uh, I don't know how to prepare you for today. I have no idea what's going to happen, actually. So, we'll, uh, we'll trust God and ride. Um. You know, I prepare my sermons about four weeks in advance uh, for a reason. I, I like to have time to bake on them before I deliver them, and uh, and to and to make sure that I give God plenty of make sure that I'm not limiting what He wants to say. So when I wrote this sermon, I thought it was just going to be a sermon, and, and I don't mean that in in any kind of disrespect or like I just write just sermons. I really want God to show up every time we talk about His Word. But I went. To, uh, I had no idea I was going to be emotional today. <clears throat> I went to uh, a prayer gathering of some pastors in the state the last couple of days, and I found out that what we're talking about today is actually going to be a lot larger in my life and in Christie's life as far as ministry and, and purpose. So today we are going to jump into something that does not sound fun, but we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And if, and if you can discuss this and think about this, what we're gonna, our subject, you can get through this in such a way that you are more joyful and live with more power than you ever have before. And so today we're talking about the time that Jesus Christ went to a funeral and how when he went to the funeral, of course, he, he, like as, as Steve already mentioned, he, he kind of wrecked things. Jesus has a way of wrecking our misery, you know. But I, we're, we're, gonna, we're talking a little bit about grief, and, and, and to kind of lay a foundation, well, we're talking a lot about grief, I, I have come to believe over the last couple of years as I've become aware of grief and what's going on, I, I feel like most people I talk to, in fact, every Christian I talk to, it just seems like there is a, a, a shadow of sorrow over their lives. There's a proverb that comes to mind Often, it, it talks about even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. And, and I get that when I talk to people all the time, 
And you start you know, trying to connect with someone, not just on a conversational level, but on a, a spiritual level. Because that's what we're trying to do as Christians. We're not just trying to talk. We want the Spirit in me and the Spirit in you to minister to us, right? But there's, a, there's this shadow of pain. And I have come to believe that the church in the West, and maybe the church in the world, but for sure in the West, we have forgotten how to grieve. We've lost the ability to help each other grieve. In fact, I believe that we're at a point in our world today where we are trying to never grieve. Last year, with COVID, we, and this was, COVID just finished a lot of things that were already happening. People were already leaving church, so COVID just helped them get out faster. People were already slowing down having memorial services, funerals, and COVID made it worse. And more and more people are refusing to grieve things that they have lost. Not just people, but things, expectations, jobs, marriages, children. And so I believe Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who mourn. People often translate the word blessed as happy. So if you put that word in the place of blessed, happy are those who mourn, by itself doesn't make sense. But here he concludes it with, happy are those, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we refuse to grieve that which is lost, we reject the comfort that God provides. And what happens in our world is we live in a shadow of sorrow that we refuse to deal with. And in refusing to deal with that sorrow, our attitude is, I don't want sadness to touch me. I have sadness. I'm not going to deal with it. We live imprisoned to the very sadness that we're afraid to touch. And here's the real, the real confusing thing. I believe the enemy has robbed us of the power to grieve because I, as I'm studying God's word, and I'm not going to get into why I believe this today, but I've come to believe that Jesus Christ is planted. Remember I said that word. We'll come back to it at some point in time. He is planted and waiting for you. In the midst of your sadness and your sorrow. Your point of grief that you don't want to go to, Jesus is waiting for you in. Now, you don't have to accept that yet. I'm just telling you what's true. You can digest that. And we talk about grief in America. We, with our American minds, are always trying to figure things out, aren't you? I am. I'm always trying to if I can just figure this out. It's tax season. Figure that out. Yeah, I figured it out. It stinks. There you go. <clears throat> we're always trying to figure it out. And we're trying to figure out grief all the time. And so we have these, these big brains, these counselors and psychologists, and they've come up with this grief cycle. And what... When you are taught on grief, someone will always stand up and teach you on grief, and they will teach you like the science and the research on grief is settled. And it's not. 
The truth is that we try and turn everything into outlines and points and subpoints and linear pathways of thinking, like one leads to two and two leads to three, and that's how we think of grief. We think grief starts with shock, and then when it, it goes from shock into anger, and then from anger into uh, negotiation, and uh, I had some other words I was going to use, but I lost them. Oh yeah, negotiation. Then from there into depression, and then finally into acceptance, and so we be ask people, where are you on the grief cycle? And, and we try to think of our pain, go like, well, where am I? But that is, anyone who's ever been through a severe grief knows there's no cycle. There's chaos. There's peace one second, and there's anger the next. And there's bargaining one second, and then there's all of a sudden peace. And then on it goes, back and forth. It's just a disaster. And then there are other feelings that are caught up in that that you can't even describe and capture words for. All you know is, is that there is a huge hole in you that you have no idea what to do with. And you're trying to process that. So when we come to Jesus today and we think about Jesus going to a funeral, know this. Everybody can identify with the passage we're about to read. Whether you have lost someone, whether you've lost an expectation, whether your dreams have been crushed, doesn't matter what it is. Grief impacts any and every loss. You cannot control what happens to you in life. Things are going to happen. Hurt will come. But you can choose to mourn the thing and grieve the thing that happens. You see, grief either ends in acceptance or crisis. You can fail at sadness. It is possible. This old adage that is just total baloney, and that's me trying to be really churchy and, and keep it clean, that time heals all wounds is stupid. Stab yourself with a knife, stuff it full of dirt, and then walk around saying time heals all wounds. You'll get an infection. And that's exactly what's happening with people's grief. They've been stabbed, they've had a hole cut in them, and they've packed it full of the dirt of the stupidity of this world that says just move on, just carry on with your life, you don't have to deal with it, and that is all bull. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And I was taught by a man this weekend that grief is the feeling, mourning is the action. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus said that, by the way. Do you think Jesus would lie to you? But I'll tell you who will lie to you. The enemy, Satan, the devil will lie to you, and he will tell you that the pain will never go away. You should avoid it as much as possible, and you should never grieve the things that you've lost. You should just try and distract yourself with as much fun and money and work and whatever it is. Find your addiction. Pack that in the hole. That's a great way to infect your sadness and live with it forever. I think the reason that the church today cannot truly rejoice and cannot truly celebrate what's done in Christ is because we have never dealt with our sadness. We have all this pain in our life. And, 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 and for some it's huge pain, and for some it doesn't seem as large as others, but it's still your pain. We have all this pain, we never deal with it. So let me show you a story 
that I think is just, it's miraculous, it's powerful, it's just, it's one of, it's one of my favorites, and you'll know why by the end of this message, okay? So we're in Luke 7, <clears throat> verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him, and a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, I know a lot of times when we read the Bible, it's easy to zone out, but I really want you to focus right here. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. His heart, the heart of Jesus, overflowed with compassion. How much compassion do you think Jesus is capable of? And his heart overflowed with compassion at this woman and this funeral. Don't cry, he said. (laughs) Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. He was chatty. Something about being dead loosens the tongue, apparently. He sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. I want you to see first that bad things happen in life. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that, but sometimes you have to start by restating the obvious. And so that's where we begin. Bad things happen. Do you know what I think is one of the saddest verses in the Bible? Other than that that two-word verse, Jesus wept, it's this one. This phrase where the Bible tells us that Jesus is walking up on the funeral of a widow's only son. A widow's only son. Doesn't that's heartbreaking. Because that tells you she's already lost her husband. She's a widow. And now she's burying her only son. Now you and I don't live in a world that understands the magnitude of what's happening here. Because she isn't just burying her son, she's burying her future. She's burying her livelihood. She's burying her opportunity to eat. And so this is a sad day. A sorrow-filled day. This woman is hurting and she's no stranger to hurt. And her future is going in the ground with her child. Now, another thing you see in the passage that I think we need to learn from is this. A large crowd followed her. In the ancient world, a funeral was about a seven-day process. A widow would wear black for like a year to indicate that she'd gone through the loss of a husband. But for a week, and it was a culture that didn't have embalming like we do today and didn't have the things that are available to us. And so when someone died, it was pretty quick. Got together, their body was washed. They would maybe anoint them with some fragrances because the human body begins to deteriorate pretty quickly. Sorry about the graphic there, but that's how that goes down. 
And uh, so, but for a week, they'd come together, they would, they would bury the person who died, and then there would be about a week's worth of support. In this case, we're in the village of Nain, and you have a large crowd of the village. Basically, you see that the town loved this lady, and the town cared about one of their own. I'm going to tell you something they knew 2,000 years ago that we don't know today. You cannot grieve alone. I have seen it more times. It drives me crazy, and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I try and encourage people to not do it, but we live in a world today, someone dies. This, you know, the, the grief, the real grief begins, the one we call real grief, but you can have real grief over a lot of things, so I don't want to minimize that. But someone dies, and, and, and basically, no one wants to get close enough to feel their pain. I've seen wives lose their husbands, and all of a sudden, they didn't just lose their husband. They lost all their couple friends because now all their couples have no idea how to relate to a single person. I've seen people in church that there would be a death, and Christians, we want to help, but we don't know what to do. And by the way, here's a point from the pastor. Here's how you help someone who's grieving. Be there, shut up. Not trying to be rude, but I'm just telling you. Christian platitudes need to be ground up and thrown away. We need to stop saying stuff that we don't know what it means. We need to step into people's lives and be willing to hurt with them and, and be, bring the stillness of God rather than words that we don't understand what they mean to someone who is in deep grief. Does that make sense? And once you've gone through grief, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, sorry, I didn't mean to be harsh there. We need to come around people. But I do have like this real attitude toward platitudes. The pastor has a platitude attitude. I should get a t-shirt. <laughs> the thing is, they knew, so we, we've hit this period in the world where people just don't want to grieve, and so you end up alone. People begin to withdraw, they end up isolated, and that is how grief turns into crisis. If you are going through any kind of grief in your life and you isolate yourself, hey guys, men, we're really good at this. You isolate yourself. You are just inviting a crisis into your life. Maybe that's why so many men have what they call midlife crises, because they've never been willing to deal with their own pain, and so it turns into a crisis at a certain. At some point, the grief becomes so great that something has to break. So we don't want to fail at this. So in the ancient world, they knew that things had to happen. So what are we going to do? And this is, as we move into what Jesus is going to do, let me challenge us as the church, okay? I believe I'm looking at, for the most part in this room, I, it look, looks like a room full of believers to me. So what are we going to do? The church has got to become what Jesus meant for it to become. And that means, look, look at Romans. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Sorry, I had to throw that in there just because the word ordinary was there. And don't think like you know it all, which I, I might want to throw that in there too. But anyway, the point is this. Jesus envisioned the, the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, as being a group of people who could help each other through their pain. I just don't think you can grieve by yourself. I believe you need two things to grieve, Jesus and each other. That's what I believe. You guys, uh, I, I'm not really... Uh, a movie. I mean, I love movies, but I'm not really into the superhero movies. But I have seen the Christian Bale Batman movies because I like Christian Bale. 
most of the time. And I can't remember which movie it is. If my son were here, he's an expert on all things Batman and, and, and all universes and all versions. But I know very little. But I did see the film where Batman gets beat up and put in a prison that's really a hole in the ground. And in the film, if you've seen it, you know, he, after he gets nursed back to health and starts putting himself back together and learns whatever valuable lessons he had to learn for the, whatever morals the movie's trying to present, he's trying to escape this prison. And in the prison, everyone who tries to escape the prison, they, they have to jump, this, have to make this seemingly impossible jump from one ledge to, to a grip and then climb out. And so everyone who does it, there's a rope, a safety catch rope. And so Batman's he does this. Uh, he's trying to, to get out. So he does what everyone else does. He gets the rope on. The problem is they, they don't realize that the rope is actually a hindrance. The rope is a trap. The rope leads you to believe that if you do this by yourself and you fail, that the rope will, will catch you. And so you can do it all by yourself. And so in the movie, he finally gets to a point where he realizes that the, the rope that is the illusion of safety is actually the hindrance to his escape. So he drops the rope, and he just takes the plunge, and he jumps and he escapes. And then he throws a rope or something down to let everyone else out. Now, the analogy falls down a little bit, because what would have been awesome and would have represented the church well, and what should happen in the church well, is if when that person who needs to take that leap of faith, if they had 30 or 40 people ready to catch them, that would be a good picture of what the church should be. And that is the picture of what grief is. You, we are trying to do things on our own, and in our own strength, we're, we're, we'll, we'll cowboy up, and as a friend told me this weekend, we cowboy up and then we shove it down. We cowboy up and we think we got this, and all we're really doing is packing dirt into an open wound and preparing ourselves for crisis and for infection. Wounds in our lives. Pain in our life either gets healed or it gets infected. You can write that down. It is a fact. So Jesus comes to this town, and we recognize that bad things happen, and we learn from what people are doing. But what I want to think about for the church is this in Romans 12, where you have those who are happy, those who are happy with those who are happy. That means we're not jealous of each other. But we celebrate each other's victories, and then we have those who weep with those who weep. We, we come alongside each other. You see, let me tell you what grief is and what I've come to understand it is. Grief is a moment that you have to just fall into. You, you, can't, you, ha, you have to just, you have no power. You can't just like hold yourself up in grief. You, there's a letting go that has to happen. And I'm sorry that I don't have better language to describe this. But you can't just let go. You will fall on your face. I mean, you step out into grief and, and you let go. And there's no one there to hold you up while you are hurting through your pain. You're just going to fall on your face. That's why we don't grieve. We don't have enough people around us that are close enough to us that we're willing to say, I'm hurting. I need your help. I need someone to hold me up. And until we get there, we, we can't grieve. But if we could grieve, if we could feel the sadness, if we could feel the sadness. I was praying over something. That was the word God gave me this weekend. I was praying over someone and... and and I gave, the Spirit told me to tell them to, it's okay to feel this. It's okay. 
And man, God fell. If we could feel the sadness and let Jesus heal the sadness, then we could move into joy. You see, there's a passage in Psalms. You turned my mourning. I don't know if the Baptist can handle this. You turned my mourning into joyful dancing. What if the church could help people heal and we started dancing? So, Pastor, that's Old Testament. I know the New Testament's even better. They probably do line dancing. I thought it was funny. Thanks for laughing, Frank. People go line dancing. That's not fun. Anyway, sorry, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. My point is what if we learned to hold each other up and help each other release the pain, hold each other while we feel the pain, and then we finally got done with the pain? What if your life was no longer laughter and the heart is sorrowful? What if the shadow of sadness broke with the dawning of the day star breaking in our lives, which is a reference to something Peter said? What if Christians could be free of the sadness? Bad things happen. I'm sorry they happen, but that doesn't mean we get to wallow in them. It means that we can move to healing. Because one thing we see in this story more clearly than, any, than many places is how much Jesus cares. Let me, tell you, let me tell you my quick story, and I don't have long. I've kind of spent too long on the introduction and not long enough on some content, so I do that sometimes. My, my oldest son, Clay, we were living in Missouri. I had surrendered to the ministry full-time. I had just quit my job and was working for a subpar salary with no insurance. And my son, about a week, a month after that happened, went blind in one eye. Long story, I'm shortening it down. Christy can tell it way better than I. We ended up on a mad dash trip to Memphis, Tennessee, to this eye clinic. We sat there all day waiting to see a doctor with our son who can't see out of his eye. End up having to have emergency surgery and into the night in this place. We didn't have insurance, and I'm like, how much is this going to cost? You know, I'm worried about the finances because there's a whole lot more to life than, you know, this moment. And, and of course, you know, I was panicked about my son, so I needed some kind of battle to fight. $20,000 in, in, in the mid-90s, twenty grand was a lot of money. It's a lot today, but it was a lot then, especially when your salary was 250 bucks a week at the time. Sorry. I'm sitting in the waiting room. This is in the time before smartphones and even the internet hadn't hit her prime, hadn't even really fired up yet. I carried a New Testament with me all the time back then. Now it's on my phone, you know. I'm sitting out in this room. Christy's with Clay in the room. He's seven. Mm, sorry. I'm opening my Bible, and I'm just hurting. I don't, know what, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I can do. And I'm a little mad at God. Like, God, why did you let this happen? It, that's the enemy's lie he throws out there every time something bad happens. Why did you let this happen? Which really means, why did you do this to me? And it's a lie. It's a lie. God didn't do this to you. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm broken. I got nowhere to go. And I open up my New Testament to Luke 7. I'm not even looking for a passage. I'm just opening up to read, and I'm in Luke 7, and I read this story of this funeral of the widow of Nain, and I see Jesus walking up on this funeral with this huge crowd behind him, and I see Jesus get overwhelmed with compassion and walk up to this broken widow, this broken mother, and he says to her, don't cry. And the Holy Spirit in that moment, I didn't even have the theology for it, but this is still what happened. The Holy Spirit in that moment said to me, don't cry. I care. I'm here. In this moment of your pain, we are together. And this is what's happening in the story. Jesus cares. You see a tenderness in Jesus that we dismiss, that we don't often see. In fact, if you will meet Jesus in your grief, you will come to know Jesus in a way you could never have imagined. You will know not only that he cares, but in your worst pain, he is the greatest miracle. In your worst bitterness, he becomes and makes things sweet. I don't know how. I don't care how. All I know is that when Jesus steps into the middle of my pain, we get to the other side. The pain is always there. I always remember it. But now it's sweet, and now it becomes a gift I can give. But that's actually a subject for another time. Jesus cares is where I want to focus right now. He cares, and he cares about you. And let me give you a few thoughts to chew on. You see, there was a young woman named Hagar. Let me use her story. Hagar. Not Hagar the Horrible for you guys that like comics, another Hagar. It was a, it was a lady. And, and you know what? She was, she was a little snot. That's what she was. She was a stinker. She was a train wreck. And she ended up pregnant with Abraham's first son, Ishmael. And she was a jerk about it to Sarah, which was stupid. It was dumb, but she was. And she ended up getting thrown out of the camp, and she deserved it. And as she is coming to her senses and as she's in her moment of pain, realizing, one, the the fruit of her mistakes, her failures, also realizing what had been done to her. I mean, yes, we do dumb things and we deserve some of the things we get, but also things get done to us. And she's in this moment of brokenness and God shows up for her. He saves her life. And when it's over, you know what she says? She says to God, you are the God who sees me. Such a simple little phrase. The God who sees me. Well, of course God sees you. He sees everyone. No, no. She didn't say God sees everyone. She said, you are the God who sees me. And you understand that's exactly what's happening right now. And what happens in the pain and in the grief is God sees you. He saw Hagar. He saw that crazy lady, uh, Mary of Magdalene, who was possessed with seven devils. He saw her and set her free. He saw simple, humble, broke, poor Mary. He saw her and gave her the Christ. Saw David, who was that shepherd boy who the whole family had written off as the the no-good baby of the family and took that shepherd boy and made him a king. Saw Jacob, saw Abraham, saw Paul, saw Henry, James, and John. He sees you is what I'm trying to say. Right now, he sees you. And that's not all. Because some of you are like, well, yeah, he sees me, but nothing's happening. He sees you, and you don't know what's happening. 
Because I'm here to tell you, I promise you, in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus Christ, on his word, that God is doing something right now. I promise you that. He's moving in your life. Right now, somebody is getting the healing, and God is moving through that. Right now, somebody, God is working in somebody's relationship, and he's healing that thing. Right now, God's moving somebody's mountain. God is moving and lifting somebody's faith. Right now, God is up to something, and he's up to something in your life. And the truth is, you already know it. Because you know and you've seen God move and you've seen God work. And you may be in a point of darkness now and you may be asking yourself, God, why did you let this happen to me? But the truth is, you know that now in your pain, God is doing something. He's at work in your life. He loves you. He cares. He is overwhelmed. The God of the universe is overwhelmed with compassion at you and at your circumstances. He cares. And lastly, he makes things right. Jesus makes things right. He walked over to the coffin and he touched it. You don't know what just happened here. This is a passage in Numbers. Command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge or who has become ceremonially unclean by touching the dead person. You see, everybody carrying all the pallbearers that day were unclean by ceremonial law. The mother and the women who helped her anoint her son and prepare him for funeral and death We're unclean. Everybody touching death is unclean. Jesus Christ walks into the middle of an unclean situation. Ceremonially so. Everybody now is is not allowed to go to the temple. They're not allowed to worship. They're cut off from their own faith through death. And Jesus walks up. And if I walked up and touched that uh, coffin... I would be unclean, but Jesus walks up and touches the boy. And he's so clean, he makes unclean clean. Jesus has never been unclean. He is so holy, he makes the holy holy. He makes the unholy holy. And he walked into this funeral and made this unclean moment. And I wish I had time to go into the, 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 the humiliation, the, the degradation of death. But I, I, I don't. The point is this, here's this unclean situation that Jesus made clean. Jesus makes things right. Because some of your pain in this room, and in the the second service we'll have today, is connected to something that's unclean in your life. You you feel like you failed. You feel like you did something wrong. And, And you did. Maybe you did do some things wrong, and you feel dirty. And many people think that when they feel dirty, that that they gotta get cleaned up before. God will have anything to do with them. And so they never, they never let God in because they always feel dirty. And every time they try to get clean, they just make it worse. It's like trying to clean up an oily mess with an oily rag. You don't have to worry about that. That's all I'm saying. 
When Jesus meets you in your worst, most unclean, most failing moment, he cleans it. All he's got to do is touch. And what's unclean becomes clean. And what's unholy becomes holy. Jesus knows how to make things right. And I'll tell you what else, and you may not believe this, but it's the truth because I'm living testimony. Jesus makes dead things live. I once was dead. I wasn't just lost in my sin. I was dead in them. As were you, all of you, all of us. We were like this young man. We were so dead to God. We didn't even know he existed, didn't care. We were just busy being dead. And Jesus walks up and he touches him, and now what's dead is alive. And you know, Paul learned this lesson so well. He said in Ephesians, he said, uh, God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united in Christ Jesus. The only way this story could have been better is if we had actually seen Jesus raise this boy from the dead and just take him right up to the right hand of the Father and stand there with him. Because that's what happens with you. You see, the story of the widow of the name is our story. It's the story of a, of a broken-hearted God. It's the story of a redeeming Savior. It's the story of a dead son. And it's the story of the gospel. Where God says, this will not stand. I see you, and this will not stand. And I will come, and I will do what you cannot. I will save you when you can't save yourself. I will make you live when you are dead, and I will lift you to a place of honor. That's the gospel. This gospel that's out there where you pray a prayer and then work really hard to try and be good is not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God in your life to bring about life. And this is so important in the area of grief because there are a lot of ways to be dead. There are a lot of ways to experience sorrow and grief and to live under shadow. And none of those are what God wants for you. God wants you living in a life of, that is just overwhelmed with love. Overwhelmed with peace and joy. You talk to the average Christian today and say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. And you know what will happen? They will start faking joy. Because they don't know how to have joy. And the, the reason we don't know how to have joy is because we don't know that in the middle of our worst pain, Jesus is planted. A cross that Jesus became a curse on is buried and planted and has grown there. And when you go to the cross, you go through your pain. And you die on that cross. And you resurrect and you hit a new day. I really have like an hour more of message here, but I gotta quit. But here's my thing. Here's what I want you to know. I want every person in this town to get to their new day. I want the shadow and the clouds of pain to roll away. God promised. You understand this, right? 
God promised. And I am sick and tired of hearing myself dismiss God's promises because of my stupid realities. I'm going to tell you what's true. God's word is true. Jesus is true. And the garbage that I deal with in my life, that is not true. That's all being shaken. That's all going away because God's word will stand. Let's bow our heads for a second. Father, Lord, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to set your, kid, your children free. I'm no Moses.